Good morning. My name is John and I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you this morning. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 28 and it will be verses 1 to 10. And this is from the NIV 2011 version. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Everyone? Great video, isn't it? I hope that might even motivate you to consider coming. If you're not invited to Alpha, you can still come. You can bring yourself. You're more than welcome. Come along. Uh, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you'll benefit from doing the Alpha course. You will learn things. It's very well done and very well presented. If you're still on the way, you still make up your mind, you still got questions, it's excellent for you because this is a, co a, a course which is designed to address some of those questions. And then we break into groups afterwards and there's just a very free, non-threatening, non-challenging, honest conversation afterwards where we just listen to one another um, as we explore some very serious questions about life and about faith. So April... When is it? April... What was it? 20th. 20th, that's it. April 20th. What time? Seven. Do you have to have dinner before you come? Well, you don't have to, but we're not going to give it to you. <laughs> we are going to give you coffee, tea and dessert. Cakes and cheesecakes and biscuits and lollies and... I don't know what we're going to give you, but it's going to be stuff like that. It's going to be nice. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen, so what? So what? Does it make a difference? Is it just a religious thing? Or is there something significant which has happened because of this day, almost 2,000 years ago, that he is risen from the dead? And flowing from that are some consequences. We're going to have a look at that theme this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be together on this Easter Sunday, on this day, where we remember that your son, the Lord Jesus, conquered death, rose from the dead, rose triumphantly, that the women came, saw, 
and heard him, heard the angels, heard him, embraced him. And then eventually the word spreads to the other disciples and say, Lord, down through the centuries, the truth of it has spread to us. Thank you that we can know you. I pray this morning that you might help all of us take one step further in our relationship with you. Lord Jesus, speak to us. Help us, we pray, in your name. And everybody said? Was it Mark Twain or Sir Winston Churchill who said that, you know, truth... Um, lies spread really rapidly around the world that uh, truth is still getting its shoes on while the lies have gone halfway around the world. Either Ch uh, Churchill and or Mark Twain said that. It's certainly true. Trump has certainly made the phrase fake news and it certainly does travel faster and further, doesn't it? Because our media are really after the sensational, not after necessarily always the truth. So this morning we want to explore what the truth of this reality of the resurrection is. What, do, what does the evidence say? Um, and there have been certainly down through the years multitude of alternatives that have been given. Uh, some people have conjectured that there were hallucinations. Uh, each of these can be quite uh, easy, easily and very reasonably dismissed. Uh, they went to the wrong tomb or that they, somebody stole the body. Who stole the body? Well, the disciples stole the body, or the Jews stole the body, or the Romans stole the body. All of these suggestions have been given. Um, there is the Passover plot uh, that Jesus orchestrated this, that he actually took, uh, as when he said, I thirst, he took a drug which put him into a very deep sleep, death-like coma. And the idea was that they would bury him and that he would recover from that drug and he would burst out of the grave and... And then he would come forth. It's called the Passover plot. It's very clever and very untrue. And then the Passover plot goes on. But when they stuck the spear in his side to make sure that he was dead, he did die. So the Passover plot believes that Jesus certainly died, died, but did not rise again from the dead. There's all sorts of suggestions and alternatives. And at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you going to be a person who is open-minded and willing to look at the evidence fairly? Or is it really... I'm not really interested. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter what the truth is. I just, I don't want to know. And if I did know, I'm not going to do anything about it. I just want to do my thing. I just want to be in charge of my life. Well, God gives us the free will, the freedom to do exactly that. So as we proceed, let's acknowledge there are all different sorts of evidence. There's scientific evidence, which we can't use to verify the resurrection, of course, because scientific evidence is based upon having an observer and being able to repeat the experiment. Well, we can't do that. We can't repeat the resurrection of Jesus. Though he's going to repeat it in time when he returns. So there's scientific evidence, so we're not talking about that. Then there is legal or historical evidence, which we are quite familiar with. We may not think about it uh, analytically, but we are familiar with it, either in person or through movies. Uh, legal evidence, historical evidence, is based upon eyewitness testimony, and it's also based upon circumstantial evidence. And in a court of law, we've all seen the movies, you, just ha you can't convince them absolutely, but all you have to do is get a verdict of beyond reasonable doubt. And that is enough to convict. And you can certainly do that with the amount of evidence we have for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that it's very reasonable 
to take the position of beyond reasonable doubt. If you have, you've heard of the Shroud of Turin? Many of you have. The Shroud of Turin is supposed to be the burial cloth of Jesus. It's held in Turin um, uh, in northern Italy. Years ago, and I was raised to believe that the Shroud of Turin is not the burial cloth of the Lord Jesus. You can't be 100% sure. But gee, there's a lot of scholars who are moving in the direction of they're 80%, they're 90% sure. It probably is. If you don't know anything about it, go on YouTube, type in Shroud of Turin and watch some of the latest evidence. It's mounting and unbelievable. That's irrelevant to this, but it certainly does give us some insights. It doesn't... If it's not the Shroud of Turin is not his burial cloth, then it doesn't detract from any of the evidence we do have. It doesn't detract from the reality of his resurrection. If it is his burial cloth, it certainly adds a little bit of information that the scriptures don't give us. His height, his blood type, what he looked like. They've made a 3D statue. Anyway, look up YouTube. You have a look of it and you make up your own mind. So we have all different sorts of evidence and we certainly have that in the the four Gospels plus the rest of the New Testament. So we've got five documents, evidence, where we can draw eyewitness testimony as well as circumstantial evidence. The Gospels certainly do differ from one another, but variations in testimony are not a problem. They're not contradictions, but, and they are to be expected, they don't undermine the reality of it, they underline it, they emphasise it. If the police interviewed you and you were a witness in a a crime or an accident or something like that, and if all of the witnesses said exactly the same thing without variation, the police response, the court's response to that will be there has been collaboration or conspiracy here. Eyewitnesses do not see things from exactly the same perspective and they... Because of that alternative perspective, they talk about things in different ways. Um, And so differences are to be expected, and we have those sorts of differences in the Gospel accounts. The amazing thing is, if you read it carefully and take very careful note of the details, we have agreement, basic agreement in in the basic events, in the order, and in the content. The testimonies can fit together, and I'm going to try and do a little bit of that this morning as we work through Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to add from some of the other Gospels and try to give you the sequence of this day to give you a feel for it. Um, Yeah, that'll do. Let's jump in. This is verse 1. The number 1 at the beginning of each of these slides is the verse number in Matthew 28. The Lord Jesus was crucified and buried on Friday. It was late Friday afternoon when he was buried, so it was a rush job. And so the women on Saturday night at the end of the Sabbath went shopping. Mark tells us this, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. The women went and bought, purchased some spices, perfumes and oils to finish the burial process where the two men, Nicodemus and Joseph, had rushed the job on Friday afternoon. These two blokes didn't do it right, so you need a woman to do it right. And everybody said? (laughs) So they leave home very early. It's Saturday night. They prepare all their spices and and what they're going to, special um, perfumes and oils to which to anoint the body with, which is the normal process. Uh, And they would have gone probably to wash the body as well, which had been neglected on the 
Friday afternoon because of the haste of doing it, with the Sabbath approaching. So they probably didn't sleep too much Saturday nights, got up very early, dark, Sunday morning. The Gospel accounts tell us that it was dark. Another Gospel will tell us that the sun was rising. Another one will say it was at dawn. Uh, different, but not contradictory. All three are true. It was dark when they got up. The sun was coming up when they were on their way to the tomb. And by the time dawn, the sun had risen, they were at the tomb. So verse 1 tells us this, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary um, went to look at the tomb. There are other women as well, but Matthew chooses to simply tell us these two. Matthew does not tell us uh, uh, the next step. Well, he puts something in, the others don't. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake. Why? Because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled, over, uh, rolled the stone back and then sat on it. There was a violent earthquake. There was an earthquake on the Friday, remember, when Jesus died and the tombs were opened? Remember that? Well, this is not an aftermath um, follow-up earthquake. This is because the angel of the Lord came down and when he descended from heaven and his foot touched the ground, then there was the earthquake and this massive shaking. He goes over to the tomb. He's got a mission of three parts. He goes over to the tomb and this very large stone, which is what Mark calls it, and it was very large, um, he rolls that, which would have taken at least two men and maybe three men to move. But this angel moves this stone. He doesn't just move it from the entrance. He moves it away from the tomb. He rolls it. Then when it falls over, he sits on it. Why does he sit on it? Well, because it was very heavy and he just wore himself out. He <laughs> puffed. No, it wasn't because of that. I think he sat on it. And around the tomb, there are what? Roman guards. So he has appeared. He's scared the heck out of them. We'll come to that. He rolls the stone over. They would be watching him. And when he sat on it, I think it's, I defy you to put it back. I think it's a challenge to them. I think he sat there and then he looked across at those guards and what do you think the angels said to them? Boo! <laughs> because the passage goes on to say, well, it describes us for him. It's not surprising angels turn up at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They turned up at his birth. They turned up in the temptation in the wilderness. They turned up in the garden of Gethsemane. Usually, when they, and they're going to come with him when he returns in magnificent glory. Remember when he was on the cross, he could have called 12,000 angels to his assistance, but he didn't do it. The angels are ministering servants created by God. They're good guys. They're usually invisible, and they're probably here now, this morning. They are sent forth to serve those who follow the Lord Jesus to achieve God's purposes. Sometimes they're visible. This one certainly is visible. Sometimes in the scriptures, they're visible and they look human. They look normal. Nothing, you wouldn't know it was an angel. Because the scriptures talk about how some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. And then sometimes, like on this occasion, the angel turns up and is resplendent in glory. This talks about his face. His appear, appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. He was sent with a threefold mission. Number one, move the stone. Number two, take care of the guards. That's why he appears in glory. 
to intimidate them and to frighten them. And he achieved that mission. He had one more mission to achieve, which is why God sent him. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. They collapsed, they fainted, they passed down. You ever been so traumatised that you've started to shake? I have. I can remember some occasions in my life, not many, where I have so been either so frightened or so stressed or worried about something, you start to shake. I've been in a situation like that. You know why you shake? Because your adrenal glands are being, releasing adrenaline into your system for this fight or flight response. You've got to make a decision. And so your heart rate increases, your breathing deeply, blood's going into your bloodstream, oxygen's going into your... It's good that blood goes into your bloodstream. <laughs> oxygen goes into your bloodstream. Glucose is released into your muscles, and the shaking is actually your muscles warming up. What are you going to do? Are you going to run, flight, or are you going to fight? That's what happened to these guys, and they pass out. None, none of the other gospel writers tell us about the guards. And Matthew doesn't give us enough details. But if you read Matthew and just take it as he presents it, then they collapse and they're outside, which means when the women arrive, they would have seen them. That when Peter and John arrive, they would have seen them. But nobody else mentions them. Matthew gives us one other little clue. It's after the women leave the tomb, some of the guards go to the chief priests. So some of them left and come back with that false story. But nobody else refers to it. So they've collapsed. Mark tells us now the angel moves from outside to inside. The women arrive at the tomb. And on the way to the tomb, Mark tells us this, that they're so busy getting everything organised and prepared, they forgot about the stone. So on the way to the tomb, it suddenly dawns on them, when we get there, how are we going to move the stone? When they get there... It's already open. All of that, the angel coming and the guards collapsing, that's already happened. I don't know when it happened, but it happened before they arrived. There's just a little side note. Often as we follow God, as we follow Jesus and his will for us, often as we're doing the right thing, we worry about how's this going to work? But when you get to the situation, it's already dealt with. God has got ahead and God has done exactly that for these ladies here. The Lord often goes ahead of us and we worry about things that we don't need to be worrying about. He wants us to be trusting him. Mary Magdalene, who was with the women, <coughs> sees the stone is rolled away. She doesn't look in the tomb yet. She panics. She runs back to Peter and John and when she gets to Peter and John, do you know what she says to them? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. They. Vague who? Somebody. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we, the women who were at the tomb, we don't know where they have put him. Is Mary expecting a resurrection? No. She automatically thinks, very naturally, someone has taken the body. Doesn't refer to the guards at all. Then Peter and John are going to get up and they're going to go running to the tomb. The women are now at the tomb. Peter and John and Mary are on their way back to the tomb. The women at the tomb, the angel speaks to them. In Matthew's account, it sounds like he's speaking from the rock that is outside. But from Mark's account, it says they actually went inside the tomb and that's where the angel addresses them. All of the Gospels have the angels addressing the women and there's an amazing 
parallel in the basics of what the angel actually says to them, like this, don't be afraid, too late, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. So they're inside the tomb, come and see the place where he lay. Uh, and then the angel says, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Notice the angel says, now I have told you. Matthew is the only one who records that of the angel. The angel said, don't be afraid. That's the normal response when we see an angel in their glorious state. It takes us aback. I know who you're looking for. He's been sent on a mission. This is the third part of his mission. Tell the women to go tell the disciples that he has risen and he'll meet them in Galilee. That's the third part. And he's concluded his mission. Now he also says, and two, two of the gospel writers tell us this, he is not here, he has risen, just as he said seven times in the gospel. Seven times. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, beat me, kill me, and on the third day I will rise again from the dead. Seven times. On seven different occasions. You didn't count them. You can find them. Did they believe it? No. Why not? Well, it's a bit unbelievable, isn't it? They didn't understand at all what was going to be happening. But the angel wants to emphasise it. Just as he said. Luke, in fact, adds this little phrase that the angel says that, just as he said, remember he said to you, he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed, he's going to rise on the third day. And Luke tells us, then they remembered. Oh, yeah, he did say that. And then at the end of this speech in Matthew, the angel says, now I have told you. That's the end of his mission. But I think he's also saying, reminding them, Jesus told you this was going to happen. You should know this. Now I have told you. That's the eighth time. There's going to be a ninth time before we finish today. Isn't God patient with us? He continually teaches us and teaches us and reminds us and we forget and then he reminds us. I want you to notice too that when the angels spoke to them, there are four very important words. I think I'll do that now. Come, see the green? Come and see and go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Come. Come and have a look inside the term. Come and have a look at the evidence. Come. What, what would they have seen? And I'll come to that in a minute. What would they have seen inside the tomb? Come. The invitation is for them and for us. Come and check this out. Look at the evidence. And then when you have checked it out, see, experience it, grow in your understanding of what it means. So they have heard the angel say, he is not here, he is risen. I think the angel is inviting them in to have, you have a look, a very careful look at these clothes. And we'll come to that in a moment. Then once you've seen, once you've come and seen, once you've got it, don't stop. Go and tell. That's what the angel's message to them was. That's what the Lord's message is to us, isn't it? Once you come and see, don't stop there. Many do. 
Now what? Well, the angel wants them to move from having information to move on to communication. Go and tell others at every opportunity. The women are given this divine command, go and tell. Go and inform his disciples. Go and remind them of what Jesus has already said to them. We have the same mission. Tell others what you've seen and what you've experienced. We all have a story of our own journey of coming to faith. Sharpen your story. Learn your story. These beautiful flowers here are from the funeral we had yesterday with To Sing. To Sing did something that I've never heard of before, but I'm going to do it. To Sing wrote his own eulogy, sent it to his two kids three years ago. Isn't that a good idea? So I'm going to write my own eulogy. It'll be magnificent. (laughs) So that's the problem with eulogies. We focus upon the person. That's why Tosing wrote his eulogy. He wanted to focus upon what God had done in his life. He wanted to give glory to God. It's okay to talk about the person's life, of course, and everything else, and good memories, and the kids did a great job of doing that yesterday, honouring their dad. And he was a remarkable follower of the Lord Jesus. But his own eulogy talks about those experiences he had of how God led him, how God provided for him, how God had used him. It was a wonderful time. You've got a story. Go and tell. It doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but it's real. And nobody can argue with you about your story. Not even unbelievers will not argue with you. It's your story. This is what happened to me. Go and tell. That's where Alpha will come in. You can be equipped through Alpha. You might even enjoy it. Well, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid. As I was reading that, I think they're hurrying away from the tomb and they're afraid of the angel. They're moving away from him, but they're also filled with joy at the news that Jesus has risen from the dead. They've got this mixture of emotions And they ran, eventually, there is a pause, to tell his disciples. Mark tells us that they ran and they didn't tell anybody. Mark says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone. Why? Because they were afraid. To reconcile these accounts, I think what Mark is indicating is they didn't go immediately to the disciples because as they ran, they're thinking, they're not going to believe us. We're going to be laughed at. We're going to be dismissed. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. When they eventually do get to tell the disciples, Luke tells us, the disciples did not believe him and they thought it was nonsense. Luke 24 or 11, I think it is. They thought it was nonsense. And a little while, Mary Magdalene will come too behind those women and she'll repeat it, I have seen the Lord. And they won't believe her either. Peter and John now, the women have left the tomb. They have not yet arrived back at the house or wherever they're going um, to the house, Bethany or in Jerusalem. But Peter and John have arrived at the tomb. When you read the accounts together, Luke tells the story that the women come, they tell the story and nobody believes them. And Peter got up and Peter went to the tomb. And when he got there, he saw it and he went away bewildered and wondering what was going on. John, who wrote his gospel a couple of decades later, went, "Uh uh-uh, it wasn't Peter who got up, it was Peter and John. 
How do we know John went? John tells us. And not only did John go, it wasn't just Peter, John went as well. They ran. Who got there first? John, how do we know? John says so. When John gets to the tomb, he stops and he looks inside. He doesn't go in. When Peter gets there, he goes straight in, as Peter would. Peter was always acting before thinking, wasn't he? And he goes inside and he looks around. He sees, they see the grave clothes. If you are inside the tomb, C.S. Lewis, I think it is, who says this, or John Stott. Maybe it's John Stott quoting, so I can't remember. If you're inside the tomb, here is the body of the Lord Jesus wrapped up in the burial shroud with a face cloth on, keeping his jaw closed and the blood, the head skull kept together. You're watching the body. Then suddenly there would be this burst of, I imagine, light, not sure, energy. And because the bandages have been wrapped with 100 pounds, so many kilograms of spices and oils and things from Joseph and Nicodemus. By the sheer weight, the body is now gone. By the sheer weight of that, the, the grave clothes would have simply collapsed upon itself. When Peter and John go into the tomb, when the women went into the tomb, what they would have seen were the burial shroud and the face turban thing, head turban, undisturbed, not unraveled, not apart still intact, just empty, like a cocoon. That was what the angel was saying, come and see. Look at this evidence. How do you explain that? The body has gone. No grave grave robber has taken the body because no grave robber, A, would have left those rather expensive garments, but B, they would not have unraveled and then re-raveled it up again. That would have been impossible. So the women are hurrying away. Peter and John have come to the tomb. They leave. Their observations is what I just told you. Then Mary arrives a little bit after them. She's at the tomb. They have gone. The women are still umming and ahhing. Are we going to go to the disciples? They're not there yet. And then Mary at the tomb looks inside, sees an angel. Why are you crying? And the angel says, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken the Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. Then she hears something behind her and she turns and through the tears or the dullness of the light in the morning or whatever it was, she sees Jesus. But she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's the the gardener. And she says to him, if you have taken him away, can you tell me where you have put him and I will come and take him? Jesus says, Mary, in his tone, in his way that she knew, Rabboni, it's you. She runs up to him and she hugs him. She embraces him so firmly that he says, Mary, stop clinging to me. Stop holding on to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, to my God and to your God. It's like I'm back, I'm risen, but I'm leaving the first indication and then she lets him go then she returns to go to tell the disciples then guess where Jesus goes Jesus leaves Mary she returns to the disciples the women are still on their way verse 9 in Matthew suddenly Jesus met them 
Jesus went and met the women who were still on their way or they had stopped somewhere or they're not motivated because they're afraid. They're going to be belittled and dismissed and I think Jesus appeared to them to strengthen them and encourage them. And what I love about this verse, verse 9, I translated it uh, quite literally from the Greek. Suddenly Jesus met them and he said, G'day. (laughs) It's in the Greek, it's okay. What the word is is a very normal form of greeting, which I think what the NIV says, greetings, which sounds a little too formal for what this is. It's like Jesus going, hi. Like he's just risen from the dead. And it's like, I told you it was going to happen. You should have expected it. Hi. And they came to him. They also grab him, hug him, grasp his feet and worship him. Interesting. Then Jesus says this to them. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Hmm. He says what the angel said. He didn't need to appear to the women. Why did Jesus appear to the women? Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He didn't appear to Peter and John. When Peter and John were at the tomb, Jesus was hiding behind the bushes. Why did Jesus appear to Mary and to the women? I think it's theologically significant that this is a new era, this is a new time where it's not just men who will be preachers and teachers of God's word, but women as well. The women are quite literally the first apostles. They are sent to tell the disciples the gospel, that he is risen. And when Jesus says, go and tell those stubborn, mule-headed brothers of mine to go to Galilee, there they will see me, you're not going crook on them. He's not saying... I'm going to deal with them personally. They're in trouble. It's not that. It's him being very patient and very gracious again. He calls them brothers and they will see me. He says it's going to be in Galilee, which is where Matthew takes the whole gospel narrative to. But we know from the other gospels that it appears first of all in Jerusalem. In fact, the women tell the disciples, but they were not believed. Mary Magdalene tells the disciples, and she's not believed. It's not that afternoon Jesus appears to Peter. We don't have a record of it. We just have two statements in the scriptures that mean that that's what happened. And Peter tells the disciples, and they believe him. The two on the Emmaus Road hear about this, and they, go, they meet Jesus, and then they go back to that same upper room, and when, as soon as they walk in the door, the people say, it's true, the Lord has risen, he's appeared to Peter. And then they say, and he has appeared to us. Thomas wasn't there, so they tell Thomas, he doesn't believe them. He doesn't believe the women, he doesn't believe the apostles, he doesn't believe Peter, he doesn't believe anybody. And he says magnificently, I love this, unless I put my hand in his, my finger in his scars in his hand and put my hand in his side, and if I see the wounds in his feet, I will not believe. And a week later, Jesus appears. What does Jesus say to Thomas? Thomas, come and put your finger in here. Put your hand on my side. Look at my feet. Be no longer unbelieving, but believing. What does that mean? That means Jesus heard every word that Thomas said. He's listening. He's present. He's no longer present 
present necessarily visually and physically, but he's present and he knows. And that's what he's teaching the disciples because he is with them for 40 days and he is going to be teaching them about his departure, him leaving. In fact, Mark adds this. This is Mark 16 and it's not really part of the original text, but it's an indication of a very early church tradition or a church history. That's the only reason I'm quoting it. Jesus rebuked the disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart and because they did not believe those who saw him. Jesus expects people who hear the story of the resurrection, who hear the testimony of people who have seen him, Jesus expects the response of trust and faith. It's true. And he expects us to respond accordingly. Come and see the evidence. Then go and tell. And when you tell others, they should believe. That's his expectation. No one expected them to rise from the dead. We've already covered most of that. Jesus says, come and see. I told you what it was. If you look on the outside, you'll see the stone is moved, the Roman guard have collapsed, the tomb is open. If you go inside, it was like I said before, you'll see the grave clothes intact. Uh, Luke makes this comment, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. He was appearing suddenly, unexpectedly, and disappearing. Appearing and disappearing. He's training them. I'm leaving. I told you I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And then when he does leave, he leaves visibly. So it's very clear. He's not coming back until he returns. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked at, examined carefully, and which our hands have handled, that we proclaim to you. There's apostolic testimony to the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The appearances will end, as I said, in that visible departure when Jesus ascended into heaven and was hidden by the clouds where he will return, the angel said, in the same manner. He'll come back in body, visibly and gloriously and with on a riding a white horse and with thousands of angels and with all believers with him. Well, risen, so what? Well, it's because he rose uh, that we know Jesus keeps his word. He said it was going to happen and it happened. He can be trusted, he can be relied upon, he can be believed. Number two, his work has been accepted. His divine work of salvation, of ransom is paid. It is finished, he said. And it's possible for us to be saved and to be adopted into God's family. Because he is risen, we worship on Sunday not Saturday. Because he has risen, he has a brand new body, a resurrection body, which is a foretaste of our resurrection. He is the first one. And that God is going to have a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new universe. When God made this universe, the first one, he began with, he made the heavens and the earth, and he concluded that week by making people, men and women, the pinnacle, the climax of his creation week. Now it's in the reverse order. The new creation begins with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in a new body. And now he's transforming people, men and women, into his followers who are being sanctified and eventually will be resurrected in a glorious body like his and then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So we are in the process. It begins with our inward spiritual renewal, repentance, belief, 
submitting and obeying him, believing the evidence and trusting him. It's demonstrated in baptism where we die to the old way of life and we rise to the new way of life and there is the outward transformation into holiness. What this means is there are two ways to live. You can live under his kingship and rulership or you can live doing your own thing your own way and defying him. But he's coming back and he's the king and he's the judge. And just like he told his disciples seven times, so he has told you many times. You need to repent. You need to believe. You need to get your life in order. And he offers the way to do that. If you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, come and see. Check it out. Come to Alpha. Talk to us afterwards. We have, I have over 20 books on the resurrection and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Borrow one of them. Read it. Talk about it. Come and see. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, your mission is go and tell. Go and tell. Pray to God to give you the opportunities to open your eyes so that at every opportunity you can speak the truth. Not Bible bash. Share your story of what he's done for you. Happy Easter, everybody. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, again for this wonderful, wonderful truth that your son, the Lord Jesus, died on Calvary's cross, did the job, it's finished, sins are paid for, and because he was innocent, he rose again from the dead, death could not hold him. If the wages of sin is death, then he is alive, he rose again, and just as he rose, so too will we. There is a new life. Lord, help us to embrace it. Help us to come and see and help us to go and tell. For your glory, for your honour and for your purposes. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Pastor Charlie's going to close the service because I'm going to go and scatter some chocolate eggs. I'm just going to go out there. I'm not going near cars. I'm not going on the thingamajig. What do you call it? Where cars drive up and down? That thing? See ya. This is for children. (laughs) For those who are young at heart. (laughs) You just opened a can of worms. What did Jesus say? Come and see. (laughs) Thank you. Can I encourage you, just as Pastor Darrell goes, um, if your kids are going to participate in that, remember the older ones should run to the further distance and let the younger ones pick the ones up that are close. Let's make this a fair and even thing. Uh, we don't want some kid having 150 and one child still trying to find one. So uh, let's keep this fair and even. Guys, also I want to remind you again about Alpha. Invitations are up the back. Please do take those. We have hot cross buns out the front in the patio, so please feel free to stay and share with those. And perhaps ask each other, who are you going to invite? Who are you praying for uh, to come along to Alpha? That would be a great thing. But this week, guys, may you reflect on the incredible gift of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, and the fact that he rose today. Dwell on that. May he make that account true to you once more. May he embed it in your life and may it become the thing that you proclaim and talk about. May you engage with it this week. May you know Jesus more and may his word be alive to you. God bless one and all. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for those of you online as well. I pray you have a great day today just sharing all about Jesus with friends and family. Amen. God bless.